0: going on, everyone? Thank you all for tuning in to another edition of Kicking Out at Two this week as we are wrapping up 2019. A great year for us here at Kicking Out at Two with our Trading Places series. This week, we are going to cover the most controversial match in WCW history. Probably the most anticipated match in WCW history, the Dream match at that time. Sting versus Hollywood Hulk Hogan from Starrcade 1997. This match was, it it was built up for so long. And what we got as a finish was very undesirable to us as wrestling fans. So I thought we'd break it down. We cover the history between these two guys leading up to the epic encounter at Starrcade 1997. Thank you all so very much once again for being a part of this show. Um, yeah man 2019's been a good year for kicking out at two um we're building we're growing i'm having a lot of fun i I always have fun talking nostalgic pro wrestling and doing this sort of thing with you guys and uh you know i thought with the trading places concept we kind of mix it up a little bit we've covered some special events we've covered moments in wrestling we've covered finishes but i thought you know this match here 22 years ago As a kid, this match was... I I was crawling out of my skin to see it because this storyline between Sting and Hollywood Hogan and the NWO was built up so well, and what we got was just... It, it was a lot left to be desired. But, uh, you know, we're going to get into the history of those two, how it brought us to this point, and play role reversal and trade places and see where Sting and Hogan could have gone following this match had the roles been reversed, had the finish been different. So we'll get into that in just a moment. But before we do that, allow me to remind you all that we are on social media Facebook.com forward slash. Kicking out of two, hit the like button if you haven't already. If you have, tell a friend to hit the like button and let us all know, you know, what you want to hear on kicking out of two heading into 2020. I mean, we got a lot of great stuff coming up, but we want your opinion. We want your voice to be heard. So let us know on Facebook what nostalgic pro wrestling fun do you want me to get into? Hit us up on Facebook, facebook facebook.com forward slash kicking out of two. You can find all the links to archive shows and pictures and debates and discussions all over there. The same goes for Twitter. Our handle is at kicking out. Two, K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T in the number two. Not as strong of a following on uh, on Twitter as we have on Facebook, but, you know, crawl before you walk, walk before you run. I've said this before a million times over and over again. Um, so give us a follow over there. And... We're also part of the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network. That's right. You can find Kicking Out of Two on that network over on Podbean by searching Retromania, and all of the backlogged archive shows of Kicking Out of Two is there, as well as all the backlogged archive shows of Gaijin Wrestling Radio, Marking Out the Days, Weekend Warriors, which, by the way, you can find each and every week. Right here on the RetroMania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network, Kobe and I—we're probably going to um, debut a new concept to marking out the day's weekend warriors because we just recently finished up the. Um, the, the superstars and Saturday nights Recap we might finish off and, and Recap the rest of WCW Saturday Night for 1992 or we Just might come up with something completely different and Completely new for marking out the days you never know So be on, be on the lookout for that in the Very near future and you Know what I think that's about I think that about Does it not for this show but for all the the, the Cheap plugs and then some so uh, You know let's get into this week's Subject here Starcade 1997 Hogan versus Sting um, Before we get into that match itself. Let's talk about the history between these two individuals and their existence within WCW. Um, This really goes back to... um Hulk Hogan's arrival into WCW in the summer of 1994. Uh, The date was uh, June 23rd, 1994 at the Clash of Champions event when Hulk Hogan made his debut on WCW television to uh, to to save Sting from an attack from Ric Flair. It was Sting and Ric Flair in the main event of that pay-per-view to unify the WCW World Championship and the WCW International Championship. Um where we would have one champion for one company. And it was a foregone conclusion that we were going to get Hogan and flair coming into that match and following that match. But, um, Hogan kind of made a quick ally with sting. And it seemed like after that, after that moment, sting kind of disappeared for a little bit because Hogan would eventually move on to his rivalry with Ric Flair, um, and he would defeat him at bash at the beach 1994 they would have a series of matches with the whole tanya harding angle at the clash of the champions later that year in august and then culminating with the retirement match with uh rick flair at bash at the beach or i'm sorry at halloween havoc 1994 which we covered by the way in a trading places series over in the archives at the retro mania pro wrestling podcast network on Podbean. um and it was probably after Halloween Havocs when we saw a little bit more of Sting. And it was really weird. Um, I've heard some stories. there's was a combination of injuries. I've heard WCW really didn't have a whole lot to do or have a whole lot for Sting to do, which is kind of surprising considering he was their franchise player for so long. But it seemed like when Hogan showed up, Sting kind of moved out of the way, let Hogan get his feet wet in WCW. And he was kind of put off to the side for a little bit because I just remember as a kid, as a fan, it wasn't um, – it wasn't the same. I mean, it was cool to see Hulk Hogan, but it wasn't the same without Sting. Um, so you kind of had a feeling that um, they it, it felt like they were going to eventually build to Hogan and Sting with Sting being gone and Hogan kind of taking over that top spot. They even alluded to it a few times on TV that like Sting was gone and Hogan um, was, you know, kind of the big dog in WCW. Um we wouldn't really get uh, Sting's participation uh, with Hulk Hogan on WCW TV until um, the finish of Halloween Havoc when uh, uh, Sensational Sherry tried climbing the cage to help Ric Flair, and Sting got involved and pulled Sherry down from the cage. And then later on, after Hogan had revealed that um, you know his brother Brutus was the masked man all along, excuse me, um, That's when sting would make his appearance uh, to save Hogan from the butcher and Kevin Sullivan and the debuting avalanche formerly known as earthquake in the WWF. And the two would team from time to time uh, against the three faces of fear. They had a six man tag team match in November of 1994 at the clash of champions. Sting and Hogan tagged with Dave Sullivan, the storyline brother of Kevin Sullivan to take on the three faces of fear avalanche, Kevin Sullivan and the butcher Brutus, the butcher or brother Bruteye, or, you know, he had so many different names. It was just ridiculous. But anyhow, um, so we saw the early formations of an alliance between the two. And it seemed like a superpowers type of tag team Hogan being the big name coming from the WWF sting, being the big fish in that small pond of WCW holding it down. And the two forces, uh, teaming together. And I just remember being excited to see it. Um, even though in the back of my mind, I still knew eventually we we're going to get to Sting and Hogan, the, the big dream match. And so, um, you know, they would team from time to time. And then eventually the three faces of fear would morph into the Dungeon of Doom, uh, which was an interesting and uh, well, I wouldn't say it was interesting. It was actually pretty fucking stupid, but um, it, it, that would be the, the main faction going into, uh, you know, um, 1995 and and Beyond for a little while for WCW The you know the the alliance To end Hulkamania so to speak with The four horsemen that they had and from Time to time Sting would tag with them against the Dungeon of Doom he'd have his issues with Some of those guys um He eventually kind of broke off and kind of did his own thing for a little while. He was involved in a U.S. title tournament uh, facing uh, Meng, who was managed by Colonel Robert Parker before Meng would eventually join the Dungeon of Doom, um, which would then kind of bring things back full circle a little bit here to the to the debut episode of Monday Nitro from the Mall of America in September of 1995, um, where. Hogan was wrestling big Bubba for the championship and the dungeon of doom made their uh, presence felt and sting and Randy Savage made the save, but out of nowhere comes Lex Luger who had returned earlier in the evening, uh, jumping ship from the WWF to WCW on that live nitro. And we all know, you know how that went down with Luger. It's, you know, the, the, the first shot in the Monday night wars, uh, fired by Eric Bischoff and WCW. So, um, we saw Luger debut on that episode, saving Hogan, but also at the same time challenging Hogan. He wanted an opportunity at the championship. He was sick and tired of getting passed over in other places, probably referring to the WWF. And he wanted to realize his full potential against the champion, the biggest dog in the in the yard, Hulk Hogan. Um, and as tension was building in that segment, in that face-to-face, you saw Sting and Savage kind of playing referee. And Sting, you know, curious as to why Luger was there but at the same time also maintaining a friendship with Hogan and trying to be the middleman and the peacemaker. Um, And that was like the beginning stages of you would, you could see the, the tension and the, 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 the building of this eventual showdown between sting and Hulk Hogan, Um, Hogan, not being able to trust Luger and sting kind of vouching for Luger because of their history together as a team in WCW years prior and their association on television. Sting, uh, you know, was was trying to convince Hulk that, you know, Luger's a good guy, he's a straight shooter. But even Sting had some of his doubts about Lex Luger during that time period. But, you know, loyal as the Sting character was to his friends, he was more loyal to Lex Luger than he was to the friendship with Hulk Hogan. And uh, that would eventually lead to um, a War Games match. Between um, Hulk Hogan's team of Randy Savage, Sting, and Lex Luger going up against um, the uh, the Dungeon of Doom, and there was still tension going into that War Games match because at the time it was originally supposed to be Hogan, Savage, Sting, and Vader, and Vader was no longer with WCW, so they put Luger in that slot, and. They continued that tension uh, between Hogan and Sting, and even Savage and Sting. And you know, who can, can they trust? Luger? Can Luger pull through for them against the Dungeon of Doom in this dangerous War Games match? And so, um, you didn't you. you you didn't sense that there was a team unity between the four men as the babyface is going against the heels in the dungeon of doom. Uh, it would turn out that Luger was very reliable in the match and he did some help for them. And the Hulkamaniacs would end up winning that match, but there was still doubt in Hogan's mind that Luger was to be trusted. And it eventually reached the point um, where the dungeon of doom was really getting under the skin of Hulk Hogan and he was re they were they had gotten to him and this was the beginning of the fans in real time in 1995 um, trying to uh, trying to voice their displeasure towards the WCW um, television audience um, that you know they didn't approve of Hulk Hogan anymore. Goody Two Shoe Hulk Hogan was not the thing to 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 cheer at the time in WCW, and so um, they 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 tested the waters a little bit with like Hulk, Hulk Hogan with like a little bit of a darker edge. He wore black. He had the mustache shaved when when Kevin Sullivan shaved his mustache, and he took like a darker side, and that helped further the tension between him and Sting. Um, he was. Um, you know, Sting was, you know, in a way concerned that this dark side that Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage were possessing were um in a lot of ways affecting their friendship and their goal to get rid of the Dungeon of Doom and that it would it had taken over them. Um to the point where we got a um where we got a match between Sting and Hogan on a nitro. And I believe this was after I want to say this was after Lex Luger showed his true colors and turned on Hulk Hogan and joined the Dungeon of Doom which I thought was a, a fucking joke to begin with. But that tension was still kind of built built building between Sting and Hogan and even though Sting knew what Luger did was wrong and he was kind of siding with the enemy, he still gave Luger the benefit of the doubt. Um and it eventually got to the point where him and like i said him and hogan on free tv on nitro had that clash and it was it was labeled a, a big dream match and we were seeing it on nitro and it was probably the first real big major match on nitro that that wcw put out during the monday night wars it, it was one of those matches where like you had to tune in to watch it because you never saw it before um you only saw the pictures in the wrestling magazines how would hulk hogan versus sting fared and you know the old aftermax, as i'm referring to and uh it was it was a sight to be seen for sure. Um, I remember um, my parents allowing me to stay up and watch the match, and you know it was it was strange because Sting came out wearing red and yellow, Hulk Hogan's old colors, and Hulk Hogan came out wearing all black and he was still kind of in that dark phase where he was kind of like letting the darkness of the Dungeon of Doom take over him and him and Sting had a really good match to the point where Sting almost won and eventually the Dungeon of Doom would uh, w- would get involved minus Lex Luger. Luger Luger was no part of that which was interesting in and of itself Luger even though he joined up with the Dungeon of Doom and had like a loose association with them even though he was managed by Jimmy Hart he had his issues with Hogan and Savage but he never got involved when Sting was out there which kind of touched on the friendship that sting and luger had so um and sting was still vouching for luger as being like a decent guy even though luger was with the dungeon of doom which i thought was rather strange and i was kind of hoping it wasn't going to lead to sting joining the dungeon of doom because i thought that that would have been even stupider um but uh sting also had his own issues going on at the same time on the other end of the spectrum with the four horsemen he had allowed um Ric Flair to get in his head and um, he took you know he, he got sucked in by Ric Flair Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman um, when they reunited the four horsemen at that Halloween Havoc so he was dealing with his own issues there as well as dealing with the Luger issue and dealing with the Hogan issues and so it was kind of all over the place um, as a fan young fan I had a hard time keeping up at times but it was still nonetheless interesting to to watch Um the, the 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 tensions between Hogan and Sting eventually subsided for a brief moment in time going into the—at uh, the World War III pay-per-view in 1995, in November of 1995, as Hogan and Savage felt like it's time to, you know, let go of that dark side. We're not going to let it take over me. And Sting was kind of happy to see that. They cut this big promo where they, like, lit—like Hulk Hogan's— um, the 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 black attire on fire um and there was some sort of like uh subliminal message he um he put out to the dirt sheets and dave meltzer in particular regarding um it was like a a very tongue-in-cheek way of like acknowledging um some of Meltzer's recent comments about his character change but anyhow um they subsided their issues and sting kind of recognized that yeah luger may have done some things i don't approve of but you know i'm gonna let lex do his thing i'm not gonna let it affect the the friendship that i have with randy savage and hulk hogan which was um i was i was as a kid i was i was on board with that i, I thought that was you know pretty cool and i took um i i i uh i was I, I was happy with the result bottom line happy with the result um he was still tagging more with luger but he was starting to have some trust issues with him. At the same time, he was also tagging with Hogan and Savage from time to time against the dungeon of doom, dealing with them and the horsemen. Eventually the dungeon of doom and the horsemen would form this alliance to end Hulkamania, which eventually led to, um, this tower of doom cage match where Hogan and Savage had to wrestle like nine or 10 guys in these different levels of this enormous cage. um, and on the uncensored in March of 1996, while on the other side of the equation, Sting and Luger were tagging up as a team, um, as the world tag team champions up against the road warriors at one point. Um, and then, Luger who still had ties with the Dungeon of Doom and still was trying to be a part of the alliance to end Hulkamania was a part of that 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 triple quadruple, you know, seven-tier cage match um at that pay-per-view and Sting tagged up with Booker T of Harlem Heat to face the Road Warriors in a Chicago street fight, which was a pretty damn fun match. You go back and watch that. It was a it was a fun match. Um on the, at the end of the night, um Luger would uh Reveal his true colors that he can't be trusted. But this time he turned on the dungeon of doom and helped Hogan and Savage win, which at the time I was, you know, a little baffled by, but at the same time I was like, okay, now they're all on the same page. Now all the good guys are on the same page. Like this is cool. And, you know, I was still kind of stuck in that mindset, uh, in 1996 of like the traditional good guys and bad guys. And I wasn't really seeing the, um, the, the, the path and the trajectory of Hulk Hogan. Like, I was a big Hogan fan, and even though he was part-time in WCW, I really wasn't paying attention to the audience's um, lack of interest in him. And so I was still stuck in, you know, traditional babyface Hulk Hogan. And... Um, He would take a sabbatical after Uncensored 1996 uh, for a few months. And while he was gone, Sting would resume tagging with Luger and all would be right in the world. But they would still have some trust issues. Um, Both of them received respective title matches for the WCW championship at the Slamboree and Great American Bash pay-per-views. And as this was going down, this is where the landscape of things really started to change in WCW. You had the hostile takeover. Um, underway with the debut of Hall and Nash in the spring of 96. Memorial Day 1996. Scott Hall appears and delivers that famous promo of you know who I am and you know why I'm here. Um And then a couple of weeks later, we saw Kevin Nash make his debut on an episode of nitro confronting Eric Bischoff and telling Bischoff, you bring your three best, excuse me, not breast best guys. You bring your three best and I'll bring, we'll You know the measuring stick changed around here. We're looking for a fight. And, um, that eventually led to the Great American Bash where Nash and Hall powerbombed Derek Bischoff off the, off the top of the stage through the, the, the staging area um, and the war was on and I believe it was after at that at the next night on Nitro, um, they announced that Sting, Luger, and Savage were going to be the three guys that were going to head up that team of WCW against these outsiders, um, Hall, Nash, and the mystery partner. And so at the time, I remember um, saying to myself, well, why isn't Hogan on this team? Like, Hogan's like, you know, the the, the leader, you know? He's, he's always been the leader of this group, this group of friends. Why isn't Hogan a part of this team? Why do they have Luger on it? Sting has his trust issues with Luger. And I remember they even, like, they read a statement from Hulk Hogan Hulk Hogan didn't appear on the show but they read a statement from him saying like I wish I could be there to fight the hostile um, takeover from these outsiders but I'm pulling for WCW all the way and um, it was just kind of like breezed over that he had he had acknowledged this this invasion and and like I said, as a kid, I was kind of baffled that Hogan wasn't on the team or that he didn't volunteer his services, you know, because he you would think like, you know, the, the best of WCW Hulk Hogan would have been a part of that against these outsiders. So it was a little strange to me. Um, and this is more and more of me not really understanding what was to come at 12 years old. I, I did. I had a hard time figuring that out. I would become more sophisticated to wrestling and the, you know, the the mature adult nature of the product as I got older as that year went on in 96, but up until that point, I was still stuck in my traditional fandom of, uh, you know, of, of how wrestling was presented. And I didn't really see, I wasn't smart to it, I guess you could say. Um, so we get to bash at the beach and, uh, we get to that big moment. Um, now going into bash at the beach, mind you, I thought the mystery man could have been a couple of people. I thought it could have been Luger. Because of the whole issues that he was having with Sting, and he kind of had some some unresolved issues with Macho Man, and I, I thought that for sure um, that that Luger was going to turn on them because I just felt it was like even at, this is where I started to become a little bit more sophisticated. It was in the build up to this, um, I thought it was rather quick. Um, that Sting and Luger patched up their differences so quickly after months and months of tension between the two of them and months and months of tension between Luger and Savage and Luger and Hogan that I thought, well, you know, eventually it's going to come and Luger was going to be the guy to turn. Luger had WWF ties, um, working with both Hall and Nash when they were both Razor Ramon and diesel, he came from the WWF on the very first nitro. So it kind of made sense in my mind at 12 years old. Um, I, I thought at one point that Mongo McMichael was going to be a part of it. I don't know why I thought Mongo was going to be the third man, but I thought Mongo, maybe because I didn't like him as a horseman, and I thought maybe he would fit with Hall and Nash. I don't know. I don't know why I thought that, but that was a fucking stupid thought. Um, <laughs> so, I, going into the match, I didn't have one inkling of Hulk Hogan having any part of this match um, until the 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 next night on nitro when i didn't order the pay-per-view but they opened the show with tony Schiavone and larry zabisco announcing um that you know the blackest day in the history of wcw has 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 come last night at bash at the beach hulk hogan was revealed to be the third man with the outsiders and he has turned his back on his fans and world championship wrestling and my jaw dropped um but the funny thing is, is that before, as Tony Schiavone was building up this announcement, um, and I've said this before on this show, and this isn't me like, you know, predicting the future or being smart to things, but um, I said it in a very joking way, like to myself, like, watch, it's Hulk Hogan, ha ha ha. Not thinking that it was. I, and when he said Hulk Hogan, I was like, oh my God, like, I can't believe this. Like, Hulk Hogan's a bad guy. I remember running into the, the the living room at my grandparents' house because we were staying at their house in Florida for a couple of weeks in the summer. Uh, and uh, my dad was watching TV in the living room. I was in my grandmother, my grandparents' bedroom watching Nitro uh, while I think my brothers were in the pool or something like that. And I, l- I run to my dad and I'm like, Hulk Hogan is a bad guy. He turned on WCW. My father was like, no way. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's an American hero. And... I said, no, dad, he turned on WCW. He was the third man with, with diesel and razor. And my father was just like, Oh, okay. Like no big fucking deal. Right. Cause my dad wasn't a wrestling fan. So, um, and then throughout the course of that evening, um, on nitro, they built up these like still photos of the night after, um, of the, of the, of the bash at the beach turn. And they were hyping up the replay. You could order the replay on Tuesday night and, uh, I, I was I was glued to the TV. I was glued to the TV and there was one interview where um I believe it was The Horseman against Sting, Savage and Luger in the main event or maybe it was Sting and Luger, but anyhow Sting was in a match and um Paul and Nash make an appearance and they get security, they break it up. Um And then they cut a promo and, you know, Savage was the first person they kind of went to because he had the closest association with Hogan dating back to his time in the WWF. And Savage talked about how he was going to step into Hollywood. Uh And then Sting recited part of Hogan's promo from the night before where he said, you told the kids to stick it. No, you stick it, Hulk. And that was the building point like that was in my mind when I knew like, OK, we're going to get the matches that we've been dying to see. We're going to get Hogan and Savage. We're going to get Hogan and Luger. We're going to get Hogan and Sting. That was the match I really wanted to see was Hogan and Sting. Because I seen Hogan and Savage. I seen Hogan and Luger. I want to see Hogan and Sting because even though they had that one match on that Nitro in the fall of 95, they had that, you know, bullshit run and finish with the Dungeon of Doom and it just was very unsettled this time around. I was like jumping at the opportunity for sting and Hogan because sting was the flagship of WCW. And then it kind of all made sense to me as they kind of discussed it on the air throughout the course of this storyline where Bobby Heenan stayed true to character and Ken from the Ken Reedy show during my time on that show, he talked about this quite a bit. He thinks Hogan and the Heenan family is the greatest rivalry of all time and You can't necessarily argue that because there are layers of Hogan, um, you know, wrestling guys that Heenan threw at him over the years between Orndorff and Big John Studd, Bundy, Andre. The list goes on and on. And uh, you know, he makes a great argument for it. Um, I don't necessarily agree with it, but it's a good argument to to make. And Bobby Heenan stayed true to form. You know, he didn't support Hogan as a heel. He kept with his character and he continued on his hatred. For Hulk Hogan even as a commentator even as a heel commentator and Hogan being another heel Bobby Heenan in a many in many ways was a de facto babyface commentator because he was cheering he was rooting for WCW to put a stop to the evil Hollywood Hogan and the NWO. He was the one that said, I told you, I told you this man was rotten from the beginning. He was a no good, lying, phony. He, he sucked all these kids in. He sucked all you in to believe that he was this this great American hero. And I love that about Bobby Heenan—that he kept with the continuity of his character and his character's hatred for Hulk Hogan, regardless of what side of the fence Hulk Hogan was on. So I thought that was some some pretty cool stuff. And I even thought it was it was even cooler when they would, um, when they would mention you know Hogan's arrival to WCW and how they kind of you know put Sting on the back burner, and Hogan kind of took Sting's spot. And you you could tell there were little. There were little instances in commentary where they were they were throwing out feelers, so to speak, to the audience um, and preparing us for what would eventually come being Sting versus Hogan, um, the big dream match that you know on a on a larger scale, with under different circumstances, uh, you, you could tell they were they were starting to do that um, in commentary in the the, the early. Weeks and months of the the NWO's formation, and um, you know things would continue with their history as um, you know Hogan would defeat the Giant for the WCW title at the Hog Wild pay per view in Sturgis in 1996. Sting and Luger were still tagging up against the outsiders, Um, and this is where the NWO was really starting to take shape in the in the beginning stages. Eventually, the Giant would join the nwo and then they would add more members with um each week you would get you know dibiase um uh six who was the one two three kid virgil who became vincent dibiase's former bodyguard and then um then this is where things turned for this sting hogan rivalry and this is where things got to be very very interesting this plot twist threw me for a loop because early on in this NWO storyline they were so dominant they were gaining members they 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 created this 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 environment of unpredictability is as to who is going to show up next and be a part of the NWO who from WCW is going to turn and join the NWO because they kind of created that paranoia within the WCW locker room, which I thought was great stuff. Um, you know, the, the NWO infiltrated WCW from within, uh, we would eventually find that out later when Eric Bischoff was revealed to be the mastermind behind the whole NWO, um, and at the time, Lou, uh, Bischoff was the, uh, the the president of WCW as well as a, a commentator on Nitro from time to time. So, anyhow, um, as things were really heating up for the NWO, um, it was an episode of Nitro in September of '96 where the NWO revealed that they were going to um, they were going to bring out a new member, and. <sighs> it was alluded that sting was going to be joining the NWO and they even had footage, audio footage of DBSI outside of a limousine with the door open and it was pouring rain out. And he is talking to what appears to be sting. Um, and the announcers were like, Oh God, no, please. No, not Sting!" Like wh- they got to him too. Uh, and then, uh, Later on, Luger would come outside the limo and be like, what's going on, man? Where's Sting? You know, like, Sting, are you in there? You didn't do that. Please tell me you didn't do this. And all of a sudden, we see this figure pop out of the limo, attacking Luger and beating him up in the parking lot. And the way that the camera was shot and and the whole segment was produced, you thought for that, for that instance, oh, my God, Sting joined the NWO. And then Sting got in the limo and he left. And that was heading towards the fall brawl pay-per-view where the NWO was going to be a team against WCW's best in the war games. Originally, Team WCW was set to be Ric Flair, Arn Anderson, Sting, and Lex Luger going up against Hogan, Hall, Nash, and a new member of the NWO. They would eventually reveal that it was Sting. And I'm saying this in air quotes here, Sting. Um, At that pay-per-view fall brawl, going into it i was like oh my god like sting's gonna be a part of the nwo and you know the wcw they're they're, they're done for what do they, they got left you know they, they got nobody left now um you know no discredit to rick flair and Harden anderson but like sting was the figurehead of wcw he was the face of wcw as as, as big as rick flair was so was sting at that time so um and Randy Savage wasn't on the War Games team. He had a match with the Giant earlier on in the pay per view, who had just joined the NWO a few weeks prior to that. So, heading into that pay per view, there was all this doubt, and you felt like this—you felt this like doom and gloom that the NWO was just gonna like run over WCW because there wasn't anything really left. There was there was barely any fighting chance left. Their hero Sting was a part of the NWO, and I remember. We didn't get the pay per view, but we listened to it on the squiggly lines. Um, I guess it was the the, the precursor to, uh, to to radio <laughs> for wrestling and podcasting, so to speak. So uh, my brothers and I were listening to it, and there was a promo that I guess the Horsemen were cutting, and I would eventually watch it later, um, you know, on uh, WWE Network. But uh, flair and anderson and even luger were in the locker room and they were like you know what the hell happened with sting and you know i can't believe he did this and he can't be trusted then all of a sudden sting shows up and they're like whoa whoa whoa, what the hell are you doing here you're nwo and sting's like no i'm not man like trust me on this like i did not join them this is this is all a ruse by them this is this is the nwo they're playing a game i'm not a part of this and you know you got to trust me. Like you, you got to trust me. And and Luger and Flair and Anderson were like, where have you been all week? We've been trying to reach you. And you know, how, how do you expect us to believe you after what we saw in nitro and Luger's like, I know what I saw. And I saw you and you attacked me and you left me laying for dead in the parking lot. And sting was like, all right, you'll find out later that it wasn't me. And he walked out of the scene and we get to the match and it's time to, uh, it's time to, uh, you know, Bring, bring the individuals down in the war games and the, the what appears to be Sting on the NWO side comes in and he helps clean house and then the, the, the buzzer goes off and WCW's wondering who's the fourth guy who's going to team with us is someone going to volunteer and step up and out of nowhere it's Sting and everyone's like wait a minute we thought Sting was in the ring what the hell is this and it was revealed that the NWO had created a bogus Sting and the 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 real Sting caught wind of this and he started cleaning house and he was beating on Hall and Nash and Hogan and the and the bogus thing and he looked at all the WCW guys and he just said he just said to uh to, to Luger and to Flair and to Anderson, he was like, Now do you believe me? Now do you believe me? And walked out of the cage. And it was it was a it was a rather tense moment to watch because um you you felt like You felt like such an... Even as a fan, you almost felt like an ass that you you thought Sting um, turned on them and joined the NWO. And a credit to WCW's production at that time because um, it was almost a blessing in disguise that it rained the night that they did that Sting reveal as a part of the NWO because with the rain, the production elements, the camera work, the way it was shot, you thought from that angle that Sting had joined the NWO. So... We fast forward to the next night and Sting basically cuts a promo saying, you know, I'm a free agent. I am no longer, um, you know, with WCW. I am not a part of the NWO. Um, you know, WCW turned their backs on me and it's time for WCW to stick it. And... We would see the debut of this darker Sting, the, the Brandon Lee Crow version of Sting, which behind the scenes, I believe Scott Hall was the one that pitched the idea to Sting to reinvent his character. And um, this is where we would see the random appearances of Sting attacking WCW uh, uh, superstars and NWO guys. And he would be in the rafters and he would have the baseball bat. Um and from time to time, Sting's affiliation—you didn't know who he was with. He would attack NWO guys, but he would attack WCW guys. But the NWO would um, would, would make it appear like that Sting was a part of their group, even with the fake Sting. I think the—I think Sting. Real, the real sting would beat up the fake sting and from time to time and then w would kind of make a mockery of it um and they would also make a mockery of the fact that like they broke this man down they broke him down and they they made everyone turn on him based on their their the the, the, the trick they played on all of us making us believe that sting joined the group and um it was a definitely as a fan i was like chomping at the bit like Sting's got to get back Sting's got to get in the ring like now that WCW realizes the error of their ways like they need Sting you know um and Sting wasn't having it he was doing things his way for for however long he saw fit um changing up his look like I said growing his hair out you know not so colorful anymore you had the white paint with the black streaks down it looking very much like the Brandon Lee Crow character from the movie The Crow um and there was this sense of doubt as to where Sting's allegiances lied because his character had become so dark and brooding and you did not he didn't speak. That was another big thing about that character. He didn't speak. He let his actions speak for himself. And it made you wanting more from him. It made you wanting to tune in the next week or the next show and be like, you know, well, what's Sting going to do? Is he going to finally, you know, Join up with WCW. Is he going to join the NWO? You know, like it was, it, it was some really tense, um, storytelling as a fan, as a young fan at 12 years old, I was like hanging on the edge of my seat each and every week watching nitro. If I was able to watch every nitro, um, cause sometimes I wasn't. So, uh, it was, um, it was certainly a change of pace and this is where things became a little bit more sophisticated for me as time went on, when it came to the product, um, I was a little more smart to it and I wasn't so um, stuck in the very traditional viewing habits that I had acquired in my early years of my wrestling fandom Um, the same kind of actions would take place for months until about January of 97 when Macho Man returned to TV and WCW demanding a new contract from Eric Bischoff when out of nowhere Sting showed up staring him down offering him the baseball bat to nail him and then leaving the arena together Which I thought was a very interesting twist. I thought, you know, Savage had disappeared after Halloween Havoc 96. His character was kind of written off. Miss Elizabeth was almost forced to join the NWO. That was the love of his life. And um he was coming back for revenge and he had like a little bit of a darker edge to him and i was really digging the prospect this is when i started to dig the sting character even more i was digging the prospects of him and savage kind of being like the two outsiders like they were the they were the you know they weren't aligned to wcw they weren't aligned to the nwo they fought their own battles and they did you know what they needed to do i loved that alliance and it was very short-lived um It was very intriguing to me as a kid, but it was very short-lived. It wouldn't last very long. As a matter of fact, uh, Super Brawl 7, we would see Sting and Savage make an appearance during the main event with Hogan and Piper, and um, Savage would stop Sting from going to the ring, and Sting would then walk off and leave the set, and Savage would then make his way to the ring, which eventually he would help Hogan win the WCW World keep the WCW world title from Rowdy 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 Piper and join the NWO. Um, As that took place the next night, maybe the next couple weeks, all of a sudden, Sting was coming out with the NWO because he still had this partnership with Randy Savage. So it wasn't really explained why he was in the NWO. It was just one night he showed up with the rest of the guys and he had an NWO t-shirt kind of draped over his shoulder and didn't really say much. And the NWO was playing it off. Like we finally got him. We finally got him in the group. He's, you know, savage convinced him to join us. And, um, it was very confusing, but at the same time I, I knew something was going to happen. I didn't know what, but I knew something was going to happen fairly soon because there was just no explanation behind all of a sudden. Now, you were a loner for a long time. Now all of a sudden, you and you decide to join the NWO. Like it just didn't. It it didn't make any sense to me. Um, but the the unlikely alliance and the mystery behind the partnership between Sting and Savage um, going into that was very intriguing. Um, and then we get what I was expecting um, in relatively short fashion at the uncensored '97 pay-per-view. Sting made an appearance. Following the main event when the NWO defeated um, Roddy Piper's team of uh, Jeff Jarrett, Mongo and Benoit, as well as the WCW team of Luger, the Giant and the Steiners in that like three, three team, 12 man over the top rope gauntlet battle royal and there was all kinds of crazy stipulations it was like if piper's team won he got a title shot at hogan um if the wcw team won the nwo had to give up all their belts and they wouldn't be allowed title shots for like 36 months and if the nwo team won they were um they were offered uh unlimited championship opportunities or something like that i mean by that time like I think six was the cruiserweight champion. Hogan had the belt. The outsiders had the belt. There really wasn't much left um, to, to collect on for, for when it comes to hardware with the championships. But um, the end of the the end of the match saw Sting join uh, the, the join the action and clean house and take out the NWO, and the place exploded. It was just. It, WCW fans finally saw some light at the end of that tunnel where for months they were just getting killed by the NWO and their hero that they turned their backs on. And he kind of had to go and do his own thing and figure things out. Sting came back to WCW and laid out the NWO. And this was the beginning path to where we're eventually going to get to, um, for Starcade with Hogan and Sting. Um, we would see months and months of Sting saving WCW competitors, DDP, Luger, the Giant, the Steiners from the NWO. It was almost like clockwork at the end of Nitro. Um, Sting would make an appearance and, and, from the ceiling or under the ring and uh, attack the NWO. And then eventually, we would get to the late summer, early fall of 1997, where um, the figurehead executive committee member, J.J. Dillon um confront sting on nitro offering him a contract for a match to return to action for wcw because he realized we need sting in a more active role for wcw now that he has you know pledged his allegiance back to wcw even though he's still you know walking on the dark side he's not with the nwo anymore so we we need him and um J.J. Dillon first offers up a contract for him to wrestle Kurt Henning. and I believe this was right before Kurt Henning uh, joins the N.W.O. Uh, he, I think he was a member of the Horsemen at the time, or he had just become a member of the Horsemen to going into that War Games of that that year in, in September of '97. And uh, Sting turns down Sting. He turns down the deal. He rips up the contract, or he gives him the contract, and he says, "No dice." He doesn't even say anything. He just walks off. The next week, JJ Dillon offers him—or it was a couple of weeks following—he offers him a contract to wrestle a member of the NWO, which would be six, and he turned down. He turns down that deal, and as he does that, the fans are chanting Hogan, 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 and Sting grabs JJ Dillon by the necktie, points to a sign in the crowd that says Sting wants Hogan and that was like the light bulb that went off in JJ Dillon's head and a few weeks later they had made the they had made the match between the guys um for Starcade 1997 what was interesting about um the build up for this match with Hogan and Sting um after the match was made official was that the contract signing didn't take place on the nitro. It didn't take place on any of the syndicated programming like worldwide or Saturday night or I don't even think yeah thunder wasn't even a show at the time. Um, they aired the contract signing in between commercial breaks of Hulk Hogan's new movie assault on devil's Island the next night after nitro. Um, and the contract signing was pre-taped from the MGM grand in Las Vegas. Uh, they, they had taped that, I believe, um, when they were in Vegas for the Halloween Havoc pay-per-view, so it was I believe the end of October when they taped that, and then they aired moments of that press conference and that contract signing in between the commercial breaks, coming out of the movie and going into the movie, um, as as uh, you know, as in the TV industry they say bumpers, um, they bookended it during commercial breaks and they showed Hogan cutting a promo, go to com- other commercials. They come back and they show Sting coming in and he signs the deal and they go face-to-face and then they go to the movie and then they go to another commercial and then Hogan cuts a promo again. And I thought that was very intriguing and very interesting and very well done uh, by both by, by WCW and the way it was presented because it made you they, – they hyped it up that, like, the contract signing and the press conference is going to take place during the airing of the movie. So it made you watch the movie as bad as it was with Hogan, Shannon Tweed and Carl Weathers. um, But you were really there to watch the contract signing. And I remember making it destination TV that night to not only watch the stupid fucking movie, but to watch this contract signing. And I just thought the whole presentation of it was very well done. It was different from most pro wrestling contract signings in the past and and, and following this as well, I really liked it. It had a, a closed um, you know uh, atmosphere. There wasn't a big crowd. They had like people pretending to be the press. The whole presentation of it was just very well done. Um, now we get to the go home edition of Nitro, and um, we the NWO takes over nitro and they're they're going to um they're they're pretty much like showcasing what NWO Nitro would be if Bischoff beats Larry Zbysko and we get to the end of the show and um, uh, Hogan's in the ring and all of a sudden um, Sting um, there's a package in the ring Um, it's like a a present Hogan opens it up and it's a replica of his head um, like a wax uh, figure of his head like a human size head and he's screaming and scared to death and sting zip lines down and they go off the air and it was like a really cool way to get you excited and um anticipating the 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 big showdown at Starcade 1997 now before we get to the main event um there was some uh, there was some some matches on this card because we're not going to cover the entire um, Starcade card you know trade places but we're just going to run down the card really quickly and give you guys the results of that show um, first up uh, Eddie Guerrero defeated Dean Malenko for the. And Retained the WCW Cruiserweight Championship We also saw Scott Norton Vincent and Macho Man Randy Savage Defeat Ray Trailer and the Steiner Brothers In a six man tag team match Goldberg defeated Steve Mongo McMichael in a very unforgettable Match um, Perry Saturn who was substituting for Raven Defeated Chris Benoit by submission In a Raven's Rules match Buff Bagwell defeated Lex Luger. Diamond Dallas Page defeated Kurt Henning to win the United States Championship. Larry Zbysko defeated Eric Bischoff with Scott Hall in his corner by a disqualification with Bret Hart as the special guest referee. And then now we get to this match the main event for the WCW World Heavyweight title, a match that was 18 months in the making. Like I said, I kind of gave you guys a history of Sting and Hogan's trajectory and their, um, their paths from the time Hogan arrived into WCW, leading through their association together, and then with the NWO and Sting's transformation into this character, and now we've come to the point where we're going to play role reversal, trade places, if you will, with Sting and Hollywood Hogan from Starcade 1997. Um, history showed us that Sting would become the WCW World Heavyweight Champion. Not without controversy, by the way. Um, you know, history. You know, it, it, hindsight being twenty-twenty here. History has told us that there were a lot of different contributing factors as to why um, this finish went down the way it did. Sting will tell you that there was some political maneuvering between Hogan and Bischoff and and others um, trying to change up the finish. Um, Eric Bischoff on an episode of Eighty Three Weeks um, will tell you that um, him and Hogan felt that Sting wasn't ready physically to. Um, be put in a situation like that in a big match like that he had 18 months to get ready and his cardio and his conditioning was not the greatest and to be fair uh when sting took that jacket off and showed um the world his um his physique um he had he kind of covered up a little bit um he wasn't the big muscular sting he was kind of you know smaller and scrawnier and in a way he hulk hogan kind of dwarfed him um his the 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 attire that he was wearing. Sting used to wear you know long tights and boots, and he would expose his you know chest and pectoral area. Um, this time he had that covered up uh, with more of a singlet. Um, and uh, even though it was a different look for him, and and it still looked kind of cool, um, Sting looked differently with his physique, and you could tell. Um, so to be fair, I guess you know from a cosmetic standpoint, Bischoff and Hogan. Uh, and they and Bischoff has said this on his 83 weeks podcast just didn't feel like Sting was ready physically and mentally for um, what was to come based on the expected finish um, and being put in a role like that in a big match and a big show like that because a lot of things, a lot was riding on this show. This was probably the most anticipated WCW pay per view event of all time, very well built, uh, with this Sting Hogan. Um, Storyline and the culmination of the WCW um, getting their revenge on the NWO in different forms. Like I said, with Zabisco and Bischoff and Luger and Bagwell, and there was supposed to be Nash and the Giant, but that became an issue um, behind the scenes that I won't get into. So there was a lot riding on this event, and mainly on the shoulders of Sting and Hogan because that's what everyone wanted to see. Everyone wanted to see Sting and Hogan on a big stage, under under you know different circumstances. Um, since Hogan walked into WCW and since Hogan and Sting were under the same roof because it was a dream match. It was a wrestling fan's dream match. For years Sting was holding down the fort and WCW was the number one good guy and Hogan was doing the same thing in the WWF. You had the two biggest good guys um, on the opposite ends of the wrestling spectrum under the same roof. It was bound to happen and it it, it took a number of years to finally get to that point And, and, and we got there. December the 27th 1997, December the 28th, I believe. One of those two dates. Starcade 1997. Um, like I said, contributing factors led to the finish the way it was. Um, they felt management, Bischoff in particular, felt Sting wasn't ready for it. Sting, um, disagreed. And they kind of hemmed and hawed and went back and forth. And two, um, to to kind of appease all parties and do something that makes the most sense, based on my research and and uh, uh, listening to the eighty three weeks podcast, according to Eric Bischoff, the original plan was for um, Nick Patrick, who was the referee. Um, who had NWO ties, mind you. Okay, A year prior, Nick Patrick was the referee for the NWO and a member of the NWO until Spring Stampede 1997 when he had had enough of the NWO and he went back to being a referee for WCW. Um, they had made it clear earlier in the broadcast that Nick Patrick was going to be the sanctioned official for this match as the head referee despite his, um, his NWO... Uh, his, his NWO affiliation from the past and, they, and they, they pointed that out quite a bit throughout the broadcast uh, that, that Patrick was going to be the official and so um, the, the, according to Bischoff on his podcast the plan was Nick Patrick was going to make a fast count when Hogan pinned Sting and they were going to kind of play off the Montreal screw job uh, because Brett was in the house Brett was making his, his WCW pay-per-view debut as a referee and I know that's a sore subject for a lot of Bret Hart fans um, and for fans of WCW, the way Bret Hart was presented at the time. However, um, Bret, um, it kind of made sense for me that Bret was going to be the referee of that match with Bischoff and Sabisco for Nitro. So, anyhow, they, the original plan play off the Montreal screw job, the fast count. Bret comes out and disputes it. But because he's a sanctioned WCW referee for the evening, he restarts the match. And then we get Sting making Hogan tap out to the Scorpion Deathlock. And we would have a new WCW World Heavyweight Champion. Here's the problem with that finish. Three quarters of that went down, except for Nick Patrick counting the fast count. Now, here's where the controversy comes in. The rumor and innuendo is that Hogan put the bug in Patrick's ear Don't make the fast count, brother. Count a regular fast count for the finish. That's the rumor and innuendo. If you go back and you watch that match, you see Hogan and Nick Patrick kind of conversing before Sting's entrance. That was when many believe that conversation took place. According to Eric Bischoff, not only did that conversation not ever happen, but there was miscommunication and Patrick was never told about the finish, about the fast count finish. Somebody didn't tell him. Whether it was Bischoff, whether it was Hogan, whether it was Sting, whoever, somebody didn't tell him the fast count finish. And therefore we got what we got and history showed us that it was a legitimate three count and Hogan technically really won the match, but Brett coming out, trying to save face and trying to adhere to the fast count theory, um, restarted the match and, Like I said, we got what we got with Sting winning and defeating Hogan, becoming the champion, and having that great moment with all the WCW wrestlers in the ring, um, you know, cheering him on. And um, now that's what history showed us. What if, okay, what if Nick Patrick actually did perform that fast count and Hogan actually won? What happens to Hogan as champion? What happens to Nick Patrick? What happens to Sting? How does Bret Hart play into this? Let's start with Nick Patrick. More than likely, he's back to being a member of the NWO. He's back to being a referee. Okay? Um, There isn't a whole lot you do with Nick Patrick following that other than the payoff is he was in the NWO's back pocket all along. And he was never, he he never strayed strayed very far from them. Bret Hart... Well, Bret Hart has, you know, Bret Hart's um, involvement in this could go a number of different ways. Um, He could go straight for Hogan, and you could hot shot him and Hogan at a a pay-per-view in in the relative near future, the two of them, for the championship. And WCW was known to hot shot big matches, with the exception of Sting and Hogan for this Starrcade. They waited 18 months for that. But... They were known to hot shot big matches because it was all about the ratings. That match could have been on a fucking Nitro, for all we know. Okay, it's not out of the realm of possibility in 1997, uh, you know, by WCW standards. So we could have seen Brett and Hogan early. However, because they knew what they had with Sting and Hogan, and they waited 18 months, I could also see Brett and Hogan being pushed to like bash at the beach or even halloween havoc the next year or hell maybe they even wait till Starcade 1998 and this begins now brett screwing hogan because of the fast count sting winning the title and then the nwo is basically just being fed to brett for the next 11 months um Brett, you know, working with Hall, Brett working with Nash, Brett working with Bagwell, Henning. I mean, you could you could book the next year for Bret Hart against the NWO leading all the way to Hollywood Hogan and another major dream match that never happened, Brett and Hogan. Because that was the match everybody wanted to see once Bret showed up to WCW. Everyone thought that, you know, oh, the match they didn't have in 1993 off the controversial WrestleMania nine finish, they're now going to have it in WCW. They're going to do it at a big pay-per-view like a Starcade or like a, a Halloween Havoc or a Bash at the Beach or Great American Bash. Um, one of those flagship pay-per-views. Um, that's something that I think either side of the spectrum whether they hot shot it or they let it simmer and they build it for a whole year i think it's very plausible during that time period in wcw in 1997 um brett just kind of running through the nwo now does that mean that the nwo splits in 98 and they do the wolf pack it's very possible it is very possible they still do the split um because the NWO was kind of falling apart at the seams after that Starrcade. After Hogan lost, and um, it seemed like the, the, that was when the power struggle was, was beginning to take shape in the NWO between Savage and, and Nash on one side with Hogan and Bischoff on the other. And, um, and, and we got what we got with the NWO split up into two factions, Black and White Hollywood led by Hogan, Red and Black Wolf Pack led by Nash. Um, I can still, that see, still see that being a factor. If Bret Hart were to, you know, chase Hogan for a year Um, And Hogan could have the title He doesn't have to have the title But more often than not, he'll probably be in the title picture at some point The match is so big that it doesn't need the championship However, um, given the circumstances and, you know the, the, The name value that Bret Hart brought to WCW at that time Even though they fucked it up that match should probably be for the title, um, whether it's, like I said, bash at the beach, Halloween havoc, Starcade, however long you want to push it, I think there's enough room for Bret Hart to kind of um, you know chase Hogan and Hogan just kind of feed him members of the NWO for months and months on end. Um, even maybe you know if like i said if they if they do split the wolf pack up uh, or split the nwo up and they turn it black and white in wolf pack and brett is still kind of his goal is hogan maybe there's a stopgap with the wolf pack maybe you know he 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 um, he reignites a rivalry with Kevin Nash from their their great matches they had in the WWF. Both of them want a piece of Hogan, and they'll they'll go through each other first. Even though they got a common enemy, they they want their hand they want to get their hands on Hogan. They don't want the other one getting a piece of him. You know, maybe Bret kind of has some issues with the Wolf Pack a little bit. I could see something like that going down too. Um, the it, it's an interesting trajectory I think for Bret Hart in this case uh, because he didn't have so much involvement in the in the match in the build up to the match but he was a crucial part of the finish and i think he could still be a crucial part of the finish and they could work off that to get to him and hogan um hell they could even do him and sting even though he helped sting regain the wcw championship because of the fast count um they could do brett and sting for the title and maybe hogan screws brett at one of those pay-per-views or we get an NWO run in or something. And it furthers the tension between Brett and Hogan. Um, because I think as a fan, especially back in 1997, my end game with Brett was Brett and Hogan at, at, at a big pay-per-view. Um, and anything else in between was, you know, um, was an afterthought, not saying that that was bad. What we saw in real time was bad. I mean, Brett didn't really get, you know, the he, he didn't really get his feet off the ground in WCW. People blame his debut on pay-per-view that in a referee spot um, that he should have been wrestling a match. And um, I, 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 the argument is, is can, can be made. But considering how he left the WWF and the whole history with the referee and the screw job and, It made sense that he came in to be a referee and to referee a big high stakes match like Sabisco and and, uh, Eric Bischoff for the control of WCW Nitro. So I don't think um, his debut was ruined, in my opinion. But after that, you know, he went from helping Sting win to then all of a sudden now he had issues with Ric Flair. It was like they wanted to get that Flair match out of the way because they didn't know how much longer they had with Brett and Flair under the same roof. Um, and it was a great match, don't get me wrong. And the buildup was solid too, but I just felt like maybe they should have built to that a little bit. Maybe they should have had Brett and Flair be a team against the NWO, and maybe we get some dissension between the two of them, and that's another stopgap for Brett. I felt like they rushed that too soon. You know what I mean? But at the same time, we were in a different era in wrestling in 1997. Bischoff was all about ratings and WCW and, you know, and and, and even some, you know, even the pay-per-view buy rates. He wanted to deliver big and he needed a big matchup um, for that January pay-per-view. And Flair and Brett was it because it was a match that not many people saw. You saw... You knew that Brett beat Flair for the title in the WWF, but it wasn't on regular WWF programming. It was like a Coliseum video exclusive. So you didn't get to see a whole lot of Brett and Flair. Um, so it was a match that people wanted to see, and I thought it was a great match. Build-up was good. Um, but I think that's another one that they could have dragged out a little bit longer. It could have been another, another stopgap for Brett on his road to Hogan. So those are the those are the possibilities for Brett had, had the roles been reversed and had Nick Patrick made the fast count. Um, Brett could easily have a few months with Sting, uh, a few months with Flair, members of the NWO to finally get to Hogan. I, I truly believe that. Um, and uh, WCW, in my humble opinion, fucked that all up. Um, now let's, you know, let's say Nick Patrick, um, did make that fast count, Hogan wins, and, um, what does it do for, for Hogan? No, I'm sorry, what does it do for Sting? Well, um, and, and, and let's say Brett didn't get involved, okay? Let's take Brett out of the equation for a minute here. Let's say Brett didn't get involved. Or Brett tried to get involved, and the NWO got involved. What does that do for Sting? Well, Sting's got a gripe for a rematch. Um, but you, I think you get a lot of disappointed fans because everyone was expecting Sting to make his big return and you know dethrone the evil Hollywood Hogan and the NWO. And I, and I feel like fans would be extremely disappointed had they not gotten... You know, had that pay-per-view not ended with Sting holding the championship up. Uh, so I think that would be an unlikely scenario. Um, the most unlikely scenario, I should say. Uh, Sting not winning the championship and Hogan leaving. Um, we would probably get a few rematches to come, that's for sure. Uh, maybe at that next pay-per-view sold out. Uh, maybe they wait till Super Brawl. Uh, I really don't know. I mean, um, considering... The, the, the controversial nature of the finish in real time in 1997 um, I'm surprised that the match because it was so big and had such high stakes on television that it wasn't put in a cage or it didn't have some sort of special stipulation like a no disqualification or the entire NWO banned from ringside like it was one of those things that was like yeah it was cool that we were getting it but I felt like it could have used a little more to make it even more important. Not that it wasn't important to begin with, but a stipulation of some kind because of the high stakes and the nature of the rivalry, a cage would have been like uh, like an essential... Um, component to guarantee you a winner, and maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation if it was put in a cage. Maybe we wouldn't have that Nick Patrick fast count screw job finish or lack thereof, and we wouldn't be talking about this. But I'm glad that that did take place because now I can explore and ponder different possibilities. And if you remember correctly, during the buildup for that pay per view. There was originally supposed to be a cage match on that card between Ric Flair and Kurt Henning, stemming from their issues in the fall at the War Games. And Flair was out with an injury, and they had DDP replace Henning, but then they took away the cage match element, and that was when DDP won the United States title, like I made mention earlier. So um, they could have easily shifted that cage match element to Hogan and Sting to give us a fair fight. But if Hogan... Wins. Nick Patrick, Screw, Sting. Um, I could see rematch. It's 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 an unlikely scenario for that time at Starcade. But if it were to happen, there's definitely rematches to follow. Um, maybe that's where you do put a big stipulation at a Super Brawl um, inside the cage. Um, what does it do for Hogan? Well, it just puts more heat on Hogan. I mean, um, it doesn't change anything good or bad when it comes to him as the champion. Um, I do think it. I do think it would be the wrong move um for them to do a screw job type of finish uh i don't think the people would be that much more invested in seeing sting um chase hogan again for the championship i feel like because it was such a long build-up and he was out of the ring for so long and his and his return was highly anticipated that he had no choice but to win and anything less would be um would be a, a major disappointment and a letdown to the audience. So when it can't, when it comes to the original finish and Nick Patrick not, you know, applying the fast count, but Brett getting involved and overturning it and restarting the match and we get Sting leaving, um, that was WCW's way of trying to put a Band-Aid on the situation. And then they had to cover it up even more. Um, and to some regard, The explanation makes sense because following the original finish um, on the debut episode of thunder, JJ Dillon announced that sting was going to be stripped of the title and they were going to um, make a decision as to what to do with the championship. Um, And that was the first time you heard sting talk where he just told JJ Dillon, you got no guts and Hogan, you're a dead man. Um, And that was a major moment because he hadn't spoken in over a year, if not longer. Um, I'm, I'm mistaken. I'm sorry. Uh, when he, when he, uh, he won the title, he looked into the camera and this was still baffling to me. I don't know the reason behind it, but he said to, to the camera, you know, I'm back Mamacita." And I was like, well, when did sting know Spanish? But, um, uh, the, 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 real, the, the real big moment when he broke his silence was when he got stripped of the title on that episode of thunder in January of 1998. Um, But the the explanation made sense because Nick Patrick, you know, when J.J. Dillon said, I'm stripping you the title because, you know, even though referee Bret Hart overturned the decision and you won as the champion, Hogan didn't lose. Hogan technically won the match because Nick Patrick did not perform a fast count. And it made sense that they did a rematch for the vacant championship because of their screw up. So they kind of made up for it and covered up. However, this is where they fucked up. That match should have been some kind of major stipulation like a cage or like a, a, a false count anywhere or whatever, something where, you know, there was going to be a winner. There had to be a decisive winner. Instead, it was a straight up wrestling match again. They, like why didn't they, why didn't they 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 try to add a little more sizzle to that steak as as good old Jr. would say? I really don't know. But um, when it comes to this role reversal, I feel like the most likely scenario here is Nick Patrick fast count helping Hogan win the title, joining the N.W.O. Bret Hart overturning that decision restarting the match sting winning the championship brett being fed the nwo having his issues with the nwo maybe a partnership and alliance with rick flair then leading to a sidebar rivalry with the two of them down the line then maybe brett kind of focusing back in on the nwo even after they've been split into two factions and the wolf pack kind of having their issues with brett and maybe even sting and brett for the title but eventually culminating in Brett and Hogan at, towards the end of 1998 whether that's Halloween Havoc whether that's Starcade, Um I even think Bash at the Beach would be in 98 would have been a plausible um, route for Hogan and Brett it would have been a f- it would have been the, the all that stuff in Brett's trajectory might have had to have, some of that stuff might have been cut out you know you might not have seen him in Flair or him against a few members of the N.W.O. or even the Wolf Pack or even Sting um, that might have been that might have rushed it so um, at the earliest Bash at the Beach but at the latest definitely Starrcade 1998 and that that could be either for the title or without the title but considering the the nature of how the two characters kind of met in WCW. I think Brett Hogan would have to be for the WCW title at Starcade 1998. All right. You know what? This has been a lot of fun here. Trading places with you for our final trading places installment here on kicking out of two in the year of 2019. We close out 2019 next week on Christmas day. I know some of you you know, are going to be opening presents, hanging out with family, um, Might not have time for a podcast But I'm going to drop this on Christmas Day Or close to around Christmas Day We're going to give you guys a secret Santa watch along That's right, I've asked some of my my Former co-hosts to pick a match Or a show or something in particular On the WWE Network And randomly throw in a hat I've even asked some of you on social media um, To to, to participate and give me some ideas And so it gives me a few options And I'm going to randomly Pick a show or a match Or whatever is drawn out of that hat hat on facebook live later next week or early next week um as we head into christmas day and then we're going to watch that match or that event on the wwe network in our secret santa watch along as we close out 2019 thank you all so very much for being a part of this Interesting and fun Trading Places Series edition of Kicking Out of Two as we covered Sting and Hogan from Starcade 1997. I think it's about that time that we we, we put this show to bed. We put this show down for the three count. There's not going to be a fast count from Nick Patrick. Bret Hart is nowhere to be found to help save this finish. We will see you all next week.